All right, just the basic recap. The book of Hebrews was written to a group of believers who were either uh, for, uh, they were either Jews or had converted to Judea- Judaism uh, and then converted to Christianity. And what had happened was, for whatever reason, we're not exactly sure what or why we could speculate, but they were pursuing Christ strong. They were running hard after the gospel, and they were beginning to lose steam. They were beginning to kind of uh, flake out in a way. Uh, the book of Hebrews references several times that they were really going after it, even uh, while being persecuted. So that so you know that they were they were serious, but they were just kind of their their run had slowed to a walk. And the author of Hebrews is writing them uh, to encourage them to continue on. He's writing them to tell them of the better way that is Jesus Christ. But in the same way, he's also writing them to warn them that there is a great danger uh, when perseverance begins to uh, slow or cease. Um, And we talked about some of those things over the last couple weeks. So it is written to believers. But there are several warnings about the the, the course of the book, and it is a call to remember and to be encouraged in the gospel, which they've already experienced. Let's read Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to cover uh, the whole chapter this morning. So I'm reading from the ESV, and if you would just follow along. It says this, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God. He continues a priest forever. See how great this man was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descendants from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in another case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives." One might even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descendant from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, quote, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, 
For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, quote, The Lord has sworn, and he will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they, pre they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to serve, excuse me, able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the people, since he did this once for all when he offered himself up. But the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Thank you for bearing with me through that entire text. Now, I know that it was a lot, and a lot of law, uh, a lot of Melchizedek, um, a lot going on there. And um, what I want to do is, I want us to understand, first of all, at, before we jump into Hebrews chapter 7, is, is, is really trying to identify who these people were that the author was writing to. All right, They, they uh, were Jews, and they were raised in the law, and they were raised in the Levitical system, all right, which meant that there were priests, there were high priests, there was a temple, there were offerings, there were sacrifices all throughout the course of the year many times, grain offerings, drink offerings, uh, scent offerings, sin offerings, all this stuff, cleanliness, cleansing, all these things that went on, all right, so they knew the Old Testament, all right, and so when they heard things like Levi and the Levitical and Abraham and Melchizedek, um, they identified, all right? They, they kind of knew the background, they knew the story, they know that how and why those people, the roles that they play throughout the course of history and why that these things are even important for us to bring up. And oftentimes we, we just don't, you know, because we're, we're pretty far removed. And so what I want to do, just to start off with, is kind of cover some background history of who some of these people were and how they fit in the whole scenario of what we're talking about. And I think that'll help us make sense of some of these things. So basically, in... Um, Verses 1 through 10, all right, it starts off with, for this Melchizedek, all right, it starts off with Melchizedek, um, and it talks about Melchizedek's interaction with Abraham, so they were contemporaries, um, and it goes around in verse 9, it says, one might even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor, so, okay, so Levi was an offspring of Abraham, so we have... Um, these three figures here, Abraham, and we have Melchizedek, his Melchizedek, and then we have Levi. All right, so maybe you've heard these names before, maybe you have not. Um, let's look at these guys. First of all, we've got Abraham. It says, um, that Abraham, um, look at verse 1. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of 
everything. Abraham is the patriarch, all right, the patriarch of the children of Israel. Genesis chapter 12. Let's jump back to Genesis chapter 12, all right? We need to understand who he was and why he's important in this context here. Hebrew, or I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Genesis chapter 12 says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, his name was changed later to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Jump down to uh, verse 7. It says, And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Um, If you continue on, you don't have to flip there, but Genesis chapter 15 is the actual covenant that God makes with Abraham. So, So God himself makes a promise and then makes a covenant with Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you and your offspring. And, and, you, and your name will be great. Uh, your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. Um, and he makes these promises and he makes a covenant. So he is the beginning of the children of, of, of Israel. So he is considered the patriarch. So all of the Jewish nation, nation come from him. Now what's going on here with Melchizedek? Melchizedek really is only pops up in the Bible three different times. And once, his first time, is his interaction with Abraham in chapter 14. All right, so jump to Genesis chapter 14, and we'll see the first uh, run-in with Melchizedek. Genesis 14, verse 17. Give me just a second. Genesis 14, verse 17. It says this, After his return from the defeat of Shadolamir from the Lord of the Rings series. Um, And the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley, that is, uh, the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your land. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. All right. So this is the very first time that we see in, the, in Scripture Melchizedek um, mentioned. So we have Abraham here, who's the father, patriarch of the Jewish nation. Um, and we have Melchizedek here, whom Abraham uh, pays tithes to. The Scripture that we're looking at here um, says in verse 7, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 7, that it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. The inferior is blessed by the superior, which is actually a theme that's going on in, in chapter 7 here. And we see this theme first introduced by the fact that, in, that Abraham, who is patriarch and a big deal, um, is actually blessed by Melchizedek, showing that Melchizedek is, is, is superior. All right, so Abraham offers up to somebody who is superior to him, and Melchizedek offers down a blessing to Abraham. 
Um, where does Levi come into this whole thing? Let's do a little genealogy here, okay? We have um, um, Abraham, whose uh, son was who begat very good who begat the 12 tribes okay he had 12 sons um, and uh, two of his sons one was named Levi and the other was named Judah all right and the 12 uh, brothers one of which was Joseph remember he got sold Joseph with the colors and coats and all this stuff and into Egypt and so uh, because of the famine in the land Jacob and the 12 uh, brothers ended up in Egypt and so we have um, the uh, 400 years in Egypt alright and then after Egypt who leads them out of Egypt okay So let me just kind of X this here because we're following the genealogy, but there's a big chunk of time. So we have this person who actually had a son, who had a son, who have 12 sons, and they all went to Egypt and were there for about 400 years. And then uh, the Exodus, who was Moses' brother? Aaron, okay. Now, you're still in the Old Testament, hopefully. We've got, um, you're in Genesis. Jump over to... Um, Leviticus, excuse me, Numbers chapter 8. Numbers chapter 8. Now, um, I think it was Nick Ripken at our last missions conference last February who was talking about genealogies. Do you guys remember that? Mm-hmm. Was that Nick Ripken? Yeah. And he was talking about how in other cultures, genealogies are incredibly important. But in our, in our culture, it's just, it's just not. And he proved the point by saying... Uh, who was your grandfather? Uh, like, what was the name of your grandfather? Garrett. All right, this, this is what Nick Rick did. Garrett. Who was your, what was the first name of your grandfather? William. William. Uh, do you know what his father's first name was? No, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I, I, like, you know, Daniel, my dad's name is David. Amos. My granddad's name, great grandpa name, isn't it? Um, Glenn would be my great grandfather and I don't I don't know beyond that but and it's just common I don't know how far you could go uh, that it's just not that big of a deal you know ultimately it's it's really not but genealogies were incredibly important back in the day because it kind of proved who you were um, so we'll, we'll get more we'll go more of that anyway we're at, we're at numbers chapter 8 uh, look at verse 14 all right this is real simply um, thus you shall separate the Levites from among the people of Israel and the Levites shall be mine alright this is the part of scripture where the Levites all right, people who are descendants of uh, Levi alright the son of Jacob so they're called the Levites um, are dedicated as specifically priests meaning that they are consecrated alright that they are set aside for a different purpose as opposed to the other 11 tribes of Israel. All right, so they were treated differently. They had different requirements. They were not given proper, excuse me, they were not given the, the same types of land apportioned to them, um, but instead they were 
um, given uh, different responsibilities, and you can read about it here in Numbers chapter 8 and several other areas if, if you want to. But this, at this point in time, when Aaron was still alive, um, his descendants, because Moses and Aaron are from the line of Levi, were um, consecrated and dedicated specifically as priests and the priesthood. Okay? So we have the Levites here. All right, so when we go back to the Hebrews story, and it says in um, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4, See how great this man was whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils, exclamation point. You see that in, in, your, in, your, in your Bibles, the ex, exclamation point? See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, like, this is like, this is the top guy here. All right, this is the guy from whom we have all descended. And again, back in biblical times, it was a big deal um, who was ahead of you, you know? We talk about the superior, inferior thing. Well, you know who was superior on a very basic level? Your daddy, because he was before you, you know? So there was great honor, there was great reverence for uh, the elderly and for those that came before you, and there was great wisdom that they saw there. You know, we live in, a, in just a different day right now where status, I mean, I mean, courtesy says that we definitely treat people uh, with, with dignity and, and respect, but there might be somebody who's younger who just has a lot more influence or has a lot more power, who has a lot more wealth than somebody who's older. Back in Bible times, there's the superior, inferior thing where you, you respected those that went before you. There's great reverence and great awe there. You know, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul himself says that he's from the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, I mean, Paul is like way down here, you know, in the line, you know? And Joseph, the father of Jesus, uh, he knew that he was in the line of, of David, you know? And because the census was called and said, you had to go back to where your forefather was from. I mean, that was generations ago. And we're talking about an agrarian, agrarian, agrarian culture, is that right? You know, we're, I mean, there's, there's a tendency for us to think that because people don't live in 2015 that they were um, dumb back then, but were educated now. I mean, they knew, you know? I mean, I mean, Joseph and Mary went back to Bethlehem because that's where King David, hundreds and generations before, hundreds of years, and I think, I forget if it's 14 or 28 generations ago, that's where, I mean, people knew that, you know? And David, who comes later, was of the tribe of Judah. So, when it says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4, See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave tithes. All right? So the top, the cream of the crop, the top dude, the father of fathers, the father of this nation. I mean, we're, we're in the New Testament here. All right? And it's going back, talking about how great Abraham is. See how great this man Melchizedek must have been if he paid tithes to him? Because who do you pay tithes to now? You pay tithes now to the Levites, who are representatives of God. They are set aside by God, not just because they drew a stick, you know, and they got the short stick, and they're like, hey, you guys are going to handle the temple. No, we just saw in Numbers chapter 8 that they were consecrated to God. And so therefore, they as a people group, and it says here in verse 5, Hebrews 7, verse 5, and those descendants of Levi, okay, we see that line right here, those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly offering have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people. 
meaning to receive the tithes of the people. That is from their brothers. All right, it's, they're not superior. You know, they're they're equal because they're brothers. But people are giving the Levites the tithes because God has said that you are supposed to give me tithes and you're going to give them to me through the Levites who then apply it to the temple and my purposes. Though they're also descended from Abraham, verse 6. But this man who does not have his descent um, from them, from the Levites, received tithes from Abraham and then he blessed him who had the promises. Abraham who had the promises from God received a blessing from somebody who was superior to him. Verse 7, it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. So the author of Hebrews here in chapter in verse chapter 7, verse 7, is making a very key statement here. Right, this is kind of the point of this subtext right here. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. That's how this culture works. The superior here, inferior here, and, the, and the, the blessings and the tithes, and they go back and forth with lineages and all that kind of stuff. We get it. That's the culture that we live in. That is a big deal. That is a huge part of identity. And that's how tra- the traditions work. That's how the law was passed down. That's how children are raised. That's how you figure out what your um, occupation is going to be. That's how the family structure is run. That's how the temple structure is run. On and on and on and on and on. Verse 8. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, Levites. But in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. Speaking of Melchizedek. One might even say that Levi himself... Levi himself, who receives tithes through the Levites down the line, actually paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So it's saying even even the Levites, whom we pay people in in the the, then the modern day paid tithes to then, can say they're actually by default. If you follow the line all the way up are actually paying tithes to this other guy, Melchizedek, because they're paying all the way back up through generationally. So there's a lot going on here, all right? There's a whole lot going on here. Um, Let's uh, keep going in Hebrews chapter 7. Verse 11. It says, it's changing tone, all right? The first chapter, uh, chapter 7, 1 through 10, kind of goes through this guy Abraham, ran into this guy Melchizedek, um, and then Levi, and the Levites were brought up. We've talked about superior is, uh, or inferior always blesses the superior, and how that works in the lineage, and how all those things come together. And then it switches tone a little bit. Okay, so we, we get this, we understand this, we're looking at this historical account of Melchizedek. And then it says this, if perfection had been attainable through the, the Levitical priesthood. All right, so priesthood. We have the Levites here, the Levitical priesthood, which is the law, all right, it's the code uh, that they live by, set down by God. Um, which is the code by which you sought to live a righteous life. Verse 11, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it it the people received the law, 
What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? Once again, now if perfection had been attainable through the, Levi- the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, who we've established here, who was contemporaries of Abraham, rather than the established order of the priesthood that we have here in the Levites that come from the line of Aaron. The law was written in the Old Testament um, uh, to define what a righteous life looked like. And if, by some miraculous standard, you were able to keep the law in every way, you would then be righteous. But there's something that's called sin and the sinful nature that's in all of us, that we are not able to keep the law, enter the need for the Levites and the priesthood to offer sacrifices, to confess your sins through the means by which God has said, this is how you do this. This is how you get right between you and me. You go through the Levites. You go through the, the, Levit- the Levitical priesthood. And the Levites, and there's all this other scripture which we won't look at now, shows how the Levites themselves have to make themselves right before God so that they can represent the rest of the people so that they can make themselves right with God. But since we all sin, we have to keep, keep on doing this. Um, I'm going to give an example that I hope I hope you get the point of the example, but all examples have an end, you know, that they don't work out forever. But it, it, what if what if you had a rich dad who said, "I'm going to give you a um, million dollars when you reach um, forty. I'm going to give you a million dollars." And if you handle that money right, you'll be, you'll be set for the rest of your life. Um, but it's conditional, all right? Um, that you have to work hard at your career now and progress in that career as if you weren't going to get a million dollars later. Okay? Does that make sense? It's, it's a silly example, and again, there's an end to all illustrations. But it seems like... If I knew I had a million dollars coming, which if it were at 40, it would be closer to me than some of you, okay, then it would affect, it would, it would affect, um, it would have a tendency to affect the way I live now, wouldn't it? I mean, to me, 40 is only four years away, maybe three, depending on how you gauge where my birthday is, okay? Um, But like, it would change, like, it would change my fervor, it's like, you know what, let's just, let's just zone, you know, let's just get through these next couple of years because I know the payday is coming. Uh, but if you don't know, you know, in this example that that payday is coming, you might still keep trying to work harder and harder and harder and harder at it. The point of the law was to say, look, there is something better coming, but this is what you need to do right now. Okay, there's something better coming. There's a greater hope. There is a, f- a future more full, more superior fulfillment of the law coming, but that doesn't mean you just float. That doesn't mean you just eek eek by and squeeze by. That there is a call on your life 
to pursue righteousness. Even though you fall on your face sometimes, it's okay. That's why we have this established. So you can get back up on your feet again and keep going. But the point of the law is not just to sit back and flake and wait for that superior, more greater fulfilling to come. You still need to go now. All right? And what the law does in a more full sense is it shows us that we need another covenant to come along eventually. Because we all sin. And we all break down. And we all blow it. And we all do things we ought not to. We are imperfect beings. We are sinful. And that's a problem. But all throughout the Old Testament, you see references that this is the law now, but there's something more. This is the law now, but there is something more. In Hebrews chapter 8, all right, jump over to Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to cheat and we're going to move forward a little bit because it keeps going with this, this theme. Hebrews chapter 8 continues on with this idea that we're talking about, and it actually goes back and throws in another Old Testament quote, once again, because the audience that was listening to this knew that Old Testament really well. The author of Hebrews quotes Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 in Hebrews 8. So we're just going to read Hebrews 8 instead of jumping back to Hebrews, or jumping back to Jeremiah. All right, so Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8. Let's see what it says. All right, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8 says, For he finds fault with them when he says, quote, and this is the prophet Jeremiah. This is quoting here. Behold, this is Old Testament Jeremiah, okay? This is like time of of uh, the Babylonian exile era, all right? Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant. You see what it says right there? It actually says a new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel. And with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, so I showed no concern for them. And it goes on and on, but I will establish a new covenant. All right, this is not a secret. This is not one of those things where, hey, if you twist this verse into this verse, you see some maybe reference that there's a different day coming. You know, it's not one of those things where, well, if you actually look at the original languages and you see this like hint of like fresh air coming through that says, hey, you don't have to live under the Levitical law forever. No, it says it. There is a new covenant coming. And in Hebrews chapter 7, it actually goes on and quotes David from the book of Psalms. So jump down to verse 15 in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 15. And it says that this becomes even more... I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. Go back to verse 12. Hebrews 7, 12. For when there is a change in the priesthood, all right, this is the established priesthood right here, the Levites. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. All right, man can't just say, ah... Let's give the Benjaminites a try at this priesthood thing. No. Numbers chapter 8. Thus says the Lord, they are mine. Okay? So, for when there is a change in the priesthood, there necessarily, there must necessarily be a change in the law as well. Verse 13. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which there's no from which no one has ever served on the altar or as a priest. Alright, so it's saying that we're talking about 
somebody who's not a Levite. Verse 14, it is evident that our Lord, Jesus Christ, is who it's speaking of here, it is evident that Jesus Christ was descended from Judah, right? Judah, one of the 12, right here. Lion of Judah, you've heard of that? It is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses, who brought us the law, said nothing about priests. So there's a change going on here. There's something different going on here. There's something new going on here. There's something superior going on here. Verse 15, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent. You see that? Not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, meaning that this person isn't by lineage a Levite. He's coming from a different tribe. So there's a new law, there's a new order, there's a new covenant, there's something else going on here. Verse 16, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. Some translations say an endless life. So not by legal requirement of bodily descendants, rather by something more powerful, the fact that this guy lives forever. Verse 17 jumps into an Old Testament quote here, which we need to pay attention to because the original audience knew this stuff, and they knew exactly what he was talking about. Verse 17, for it is, it is witnessed of him, meaning this one who has come in the line of Melchizedek, who is... Uh, there by the power of an indestructible life says, quote, and this is Psalm 110, verse 4, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110 is only the second time that Melchizedek shows up in the Bible. First in Genesis 14 that we looked at when he ran into Abraham and had a blessing tithes going on there. And then David, King David, references him in the book of Psalms here as Melchizedek. Jump to Psalm 110. So I want us to see what's going on here, not just say, oh, it's a quote from the Old Testament. Chapter 1, verse 10, or Psalm 110? I'm sorry. Psalm 110, verse 1. Psalm 110, verse 1. One of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament. It says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Um, part of the text is that this is actually a psalm of David. Okay, You can see that in the, in the bold letters right above verse 1, a psalm of David. And you see how the, the two words Lord and Lord, one's all capital letters. You see that? Okay, um, so David is speaking, and he says, "The Lord says to my Lord." All right, the capital letter of Lord was is the word Yahweh. If you've heard this explained before, Jesus quotes Psalm one ten in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke when he's speaking to the Pharisees. Um, but King David, who is in the line of Jesus, who is of the tribe of Judah, okay. 
King David is quoted by saying, Yahweh, which is God the Father, okay? God the Father says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. And what Jesus is saying when he's talking to the Pharisees in the New Testament, he's saying, wait a minute, back to this lineage superior, inferior thing. Um, how can King David, who's up the line, speak to a descendant of his down the line and yet call him my Lord? It doesn't, it's inferior, superior lineage. It, if, if, if the coming Messiah, if Jesus was in the line of David down the line, but David would be considered superior because this is how the established uh, tradition is, how is it that King David can actually lift higher somebody who's coming after him? And it says that the Pharisees didn't know how to answer him. Okay? So King David, there's three people in play here. King David is speaking, and King David is saying, uh, the Lord, Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, which is different than the other Lord in that sentence, God the Father says to my coming Lord, which is a reference to the coming Messiah that will come from his line. Everybody in the first century saw Psalm 110 as messianic. Everybody. That this was a psalm that prophesied the coming Messiah. Because of these things that we're talking about here. That David wasn't talking about himself. David wasn't talking about um, his dad. That David wasn't talking about um, anybody other than the coming Messiah. That the Lord God, Father, Father God, says to my Lord, coming Jesus Christ, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Verse 2, the Lord, again Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, God the Father sent forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Zion is Jerusalem. That's where Jesus was crucified. All right, that's where the church was sent out. That's where the power of the Holy Spirit was sent out from. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Verse 3, your people will offer themselves up freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning and the dew of your youth will be yours. Verse 4, and the Lord, God the Father, has sworn. This is strong language here. Anytime it talks about God the Father swearing that he's going to do something is a big deal. The Lord has sworn, and he will not change his mind, for you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So God the Father here, in Old Testament times, speaking by the Spirit through King David, is saying that Jesus Christ will come, and he will come from a different order that is not from the order of Levi um, from Aaron. And it's going to be a different order, and it's going to be an order of Melchizedek. A different order. With that in mind, jump back to the beginning of Hebrews 7. And we see more about Melchizedek, now that we have a little bit established here. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. Melchizedek was a king and a priest, which was unheard of. The two didn't combine. You were either a king or a priest or something else. But it was not um, common whatsoever to be both a king and a priest. And we actually see examples in the Old Testament of where kings 
who were living, uh, doing whatever was right in their own eyes, tried to make themselves king, and God like gave them leprosy for the rest of their lives. All right, because it was a big deal. And Levites stood up and like, whoa, 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 you can't do this. And he's like, but I'm king, and leprosy. All right. So Melchizedek is a is a priest and a king at the same time, and then the language gets weird. Look at Hebrews seven three. It says that he is without father or mother or genealogy. That's important. He doesn't have it. This whole thing is, is built on who begat who and what line and what tribe and who the patriarch was and who the father was. And, and, and Jesus was coming and he was going to come in the line of David and um, the tribe of Judah and but now you have this Melchizedek, and we don't know who he is or where he came from or who his mom was or who his kids were. We don't know anything about him. He is, neither, he, he, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Now, it's kind of like, it's fair to ask the question, it's like, so are you saying he's immortal? <laughs> like, are you saying he's, is he an angel? Uh, is he, like, how can man live forever? I think these are, these are fair questions when you read... Uh, the language here. But if you continue in, in verse 3, it says, But resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. That there's, um, I don't want to call this poetic, because I don't think that it's necessarily poetic, but there is a pointing arrow here to the fact that we don't know where this guy came from, and we don't know that, where he went. And in biblical times, when you didn't have a genealogy, it was like you, you just continued and it existed. We don't believe that Melchizedek is somebody who just lives forever, because that is, is contrary to, to Scripture. Um, that he was actually a man, that he was actually a king, that he was actually a priest. And for whatever reason, the Bible is silent on who he was and where he came from and where he went. But he is seen as a type, all right, like typology, if you've heard of that. Seen as a somebody who represents what Christ will be one day as a prophet, or excuse me, as a priest and as a king, and as somebody who lives forever, which Jesus Christ did do and has done and is doing. That we can look at this figure that Jews in the first century knew. I, knew, I know who Melchizedek is. And that he had this significant interaction with the patriarch Abraham. And we don't know who he is or where he came from, but then we see King David... Are the most important figure in our history, possibly, aside from Abraham, references speaking on behalf of God himself, Melchizedek, saying that there's going to be a coming Messiah who's going to be of a different order, who's going to be of a different line, who's going to be represented by a different person instead of the Levites as Melchizedek, who's going to be somebody, as it says in verse 3, but resembling the Son of God who will live forever. That there is a new superior, different law and covenant that is coming. Hebrews 7.18 Hebrews 7.18 says on the one hand a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness for the, the law made nothing perfect but on the other hand a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. 
we see that Jesus Christ, because he is the great high priest that does not come from the line of the Levites and Aaron and Levi, but comes from a different order, is able to provide for us a new covenant, which is a better hope, which is a greater hope, and by which we draw near to God, it says in verse 19. Verse 20 says, And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, meaning they were just born as Levites, and so therefore that's what they did. Verse 21, But this one was made a priest with an oath, By the one who said, and then it goes back and quotes Psalm 110, the Lord has sworn, and he will not change his mind, that you are a priest forever. Verse 22, the author of Hebrews lays it out for us. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Right there. This makes Jesus the one who guarantees a better covenant, a superior covenant covenant, a more full, comprehensive new covenant that we have because of the perfect life of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins and then defeated death itself, arose from the dead, made himself known to over 500 witnesses, and then ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, where he is there making intercession for us, as it says in verse 25. Hebrews seven twenty-three. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he, Jesus, continues forever. Consequently, as a result, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to to make intercession for us and for them. Verse 26 says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, and separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered himself up. For the law appoints men in their weakness... Right here, the law given to Moses, passed down to the Levites. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath from God the Father himself, which came later than the law, um, presented later after Moses, um, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now, let's keep reading. Um, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. You following with me? Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. When you're studying the Bible, this is an awesome sentence. All right? Because sometimes it's kind of like you're sitting there reading it, and you're like, I'm lost, and I don't understand. And then when it says, hey... I'm going to put a little semicolon here for you. <laughs> All right? And it says, Now the point and what we are saying is this. Please tell me. That we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy, pi- in the holy places, in the true tent that is the Lord Jesus set up, that the, that the Lord set up, not man. That we have somebody in Jesus who is better. 
we have somebody in Jesus who is far superior, that we can submit ourselves to, that we can pay our tithes to. We're talking financially, we're talking everything here, that we are the one that gives homage to him because he is superior, and we are inferior. And who do the superior bless? The inferior. That we have a greater new covenant, that this is better, that this is bigger, this is fuller. This is much more comprehensive, that there aren't holes in this plan, that this is something that will carry us on forever and ever and ever. Now, what we see in this lineage is that it continues and that we see Judah coming down and we see David and then we see David coming down and we see Jesus. Um... Hebrews 8.13. Hebrews 8.13. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Luke chapter 21, Jesus says, In the temple, this temple will be destroyed. In AD 70, the temple was destroyed. And not only with the destruction, AD 70 was the temple destroyed, but all sacrifices in Judaism ceased at that point forever. They, they didn't pick back up. All right, so when you, when you look back in the course of the people of Israel, as they go through the wilderness, as they go through the Babylonian exile, as they go back and try to rebuild the temple, you always see the sacrificial system, and you always see priests, and you always see these things going on. But you know what? Jesus said, hey, there's a new covenant, and this stuff is all going to go away. And it did, literally. There aren't people making sacrifices on an altar following the, Judeo, uh, the, the old Levitical code right now in Jerusalem. It's gone. It's literally gone. And what Jesus has said is, I am the fulfillment. And you know, what I want to draw our attention to when we look at all this stuff is that it's so easy in, 2000, in the 2000s, I don't know when you came to know Jesus, but it's so easy to, to, for the gospel to present it this way. Here's you, all right, and here's God, and you're not perfect, and you're a sinner, so there's, you know, the bridge diagram, and you know what, there's Jesus. And that is the gospel, you know, and the only way that you can get to God is through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But doesn't that look almost ashamedly simple when you see this? You know what I mean? Like, this is not ashamedly simple. That the gospel is for seven-year-olds, you know? The innocence of a child can understand the fact that he is a sinner in need of a Savior and not understand the Levitical Code and Aaron and Moses and Egypt and Levi and the 12 tribes and blah, 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 blah. But you know what? As you, as you grow as a believer, part of growth, and we talked about this two weeks ago, is that you're stepping forward, you're moving forward, and that you're getting a greater and greater understanding of this, which is this. That we are part of something big and superior and better. And that this isn't just a gospel tract that you signed off on and you just, just claim the fact that you're separated from God as a sinner, but that this is prophesied, man. And that there are people that have gone before us and we can trace this lineage that goes all the way back to Jesus. You know what comes back after Jesus? You. Because with the new covenant, it opened it up to the Gentiles. It opened it up to the world. 
that we can now say that we are children of God, that we are of the line of Jesus because of the new superior covenant. You know what? I don't know who my great-great-grandfather was, but you know what? I came from Jesus because of the blood of Jesus has washed me and bought me and adopted me, that this is big. And as a result of that superior new covenant, whether you read it in the New Testament or you read it in the Old Testament, is goes on for centuries before me. You know what the thing is? That God said that he knew my name back here. You know? That he knew my name when I was in my mother's womb. And that we're not the end. And it, it continues. It says in, in, in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, that uh, we are able to draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession. Some eternal hope we have. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you, Father, that we are a part of this lineage. Father, I thank you for the Old Testament words. Father, I thank you that this isn't just something that is child's play, but that this is a big, new, better, superior covenant that includes us if we're Christ followers. In Jesus' name, amen. Real quick, quick. Wait, let me let me dismiss. Come up here and ask me because I went a little bit late. So grab information here today. We've got the check lunch. All right. So if you're interested in that lunch, come on after church and meet us in this room. We got uh, we've got lunch coming. Sign up for the retreat. Sorry to cut you off, man. That's all right. So, uh, thank you so much. Sure. Thank you for uh, joining us this morning. Yeah, good to meet y'all. It's safe to say, okay, Jesus, nobody is above Jesus. Jesus was a king, a priest, a prophet, God in the flesh, the second Adam. McKizeldeck, would it be safe to say that he was a sort of Old Testament forerunner. John the Baptist, I know in the New Testament, is the official forerunner of Christ. Yeah. So it's safe to say because of that his forerunner. Yeah. Okay. I would call him, I think the official would be a type. Okay. Like, there's actually a study called Typology that says what, is the, what are the, the types that we see as representative of Christ. David is kind of a type. Adam, yeah. you know, is the actual son of God. He's a type. Um, but it all falls short at some point. Yeah. Until the, the true. Okay. John the Baptist is definitely. All right. Just trying to get some grasp of. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot there, but. Yes.